Hi, this is James Mercer from The Shins. This is Shirley Manson. This is Lowe Tolhurst, co-founder of The Cure. This is Huey Lewis giving you the story behind the song. The story behind the song is back with an exciting second season. We peel back the layers on music's most iconic hits with legendary artists like The Killers, Heart, The B-52s, Violent Femmes, Jewel, Huey Lewis, Modern English, and more. To keep the music flowing, we'll be sprinkling in classic episodes from our archives between each new one. So check out the story behind the song wherever you get your podcast. Hey, stranger. The Opus is moving out and into a new season as we continue to explore the ongoing legacy of music's most iconic records. I'm your host, Adam Unz, and this season we're celebrating the 45th anniversary of Billy Joel's fifth studio album, The Stranger, a record whose critical and commercial success catapulted the piano man to superstardom. Helping us explore this classic collection are artists like Billy Joel's drummer, Liberty DeVito, Regina Spector, Andrew McMahon in the Wilderness, Rozzy, Lissy, The Ark Hells, Bayside's Anthony Renari, and Ben Folds. Great music shapes lives, shakes rafters, and embeds itself into our culture. So let's find out why only the good die young as we deep dive into The Stranger. The new season is out now and is brought to you by the Consequence Podcast Network and Sony Legacy Recordings. Find us at consequence.net or wherever you get your podcasts. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Consequence Podcast Network. Hello, and welcome to The Spark Parade, where I geek out with artists and entertainers about their cultural spark of inspiration. I'm Adam Unz, at Spark Parade on all social media. Thanks so much for joining me. It is well and truly spring, folks. And if you live in New York, like I do, spring is a weather roller coaster. The temperature oscillates between like a fiery, humid hellscape and an Arctic tundra, sometimes in the same day. It's lovely. So uh, in the midst of all of that turmoil, I want to provide you with a pillar of stability. And guess what it is? Another amazing episode. Yay! My guest this week is L. Kempner of the band Palehound, whose spark is Avril Lavigne's era-defining debut album, Let Go. Incredible, right? Just thinking about that album brings back all these memories of, like, going to pop music clubs in London and bouncing around to Skater Boy with a giant, sweaty crowd. Um, For Elle, it's an album that helped to shape their taste in music and also big parts of their identity. They were really easy to talk to, and it is a delightful conversation. A ringing endorsement from one of its two participants. What else do you need? So let's get to it. Quick L facts. New York-based singer-songwriter and musician L. Kempner is the front person of the band Palehound, 
Kempner came to music early, first writing songs at the age of 10. With a sound rooted in 90s DIY indie rock and grungy low-key folk, Palehound first emerged in the mid-2010s. Evolving from those lo-fi bedroom pop roots, Kempner soon cemented Palehound as a rock trio and joined the polyvinyl roster for albums like 2017's well-received A Place I'll Always Go and 2019's Black Friday. And friends, we've got some breaking news here. Hot off the press, Palehound's brand spanking new album, Eye on the Bat, will be released on July 14th of this very year, which is 2023, if you were curious. And as an extra bonus treat, the album is preceded by a new single called The Clutch. Extremely exciting stuff. Okay, quick let go facts. Let Go is the debut album of Canadian singer-songwriter Avril Lavigne. Released in 2002, it is credited with transforming the pop-punk music scene helping to consolidate the genre in the mainstream and contributing to the rise of female-fronted pop-punk bands and female-driven, punk-influenced pop music. The album was the biggest pop debut of 2002 and was certified seven times platinum in the United States. Let Go has sold over 16 million copies worldwide, making it Levine's highest-selling album to date and the best-selling album of the 21st century by a Canadian artist. And there you have it. You've heard the rest. Now, hear the best. Here comes my chat with L. Kempner about Let Go. So do you remember being turned on to Let It Go or hearing it or kind of the time period when you got into it? Uh, well, I was um, a big fan of Radio Disney as I'm 28 now. Um, so at the time that let go came out, what is that? 2000, 2002. Um, I guess I was like in elementary school. Yeah. I was just like in like sitting in the back of my mom's, you know, car, just kind of like, you know, she would put on radio Disney and it would be like that song, like everybody dance now, like all the time. (laughs) And I really was always just like, God damn it. I really, Oh, can I swear on this also? Please. Um. Yeah. So yeah, it, like that song, everybody dance now. I had had like a couple other favorite mm-hmm. songs from radio. That's like how I found music was Radio Disney. But also my dad was like into classic rock. And so I kind of grew up on like, you know, I had like the rock bone happening, you know, growing inside me already from like, you know, classic rock stuff. But I wasn't really catching on to like what modern rock was until, yeah, I started really listening to Radio Disney and looking out for the rock hits. So, you know, but some early hits that I loved on that station, I did love 3LW, uh, Baby I'm a Do-Right. Really, every time Everybody Dance Now came on, I would ask my mom to skip it or, you know, I would be like really pissed um, because I'd be like, oh, not this one again. Then I heard Complicated, which I think was possibly the first single off that record. I haven't looked, but I heard Complicated Mm -hmm. and something just, yeah, woke up inside of me and I was like, who is this? What is this? And then my dad, I was really lucky to have like parents that were really supportive of like my love for music and my wanting to play music. Um, And so my Mm. dad was like, oh, you like like this band. You like this artist. Like, you know, let's figure out who she is and like, let's get you the CD. And we went to there was a Sam Goody in my town at the time. R.I.P. Sam Goody. And we went to Sam Goody and they had like the CD racks all set up. And I picked out my uh, Avril Lavigne Let Go CD and it all changed after that. I just got like 
completely obsessed and like obsessed with her and like what she was all about but that's how i discovered that record yeah yeah that's amazing um i need to apologize i think i said let it go instead of oh my god this interview is over here and i guess it's it's the disney connection you know but yeah it's one of the things that is interesting to me about that time period is it was like just the end of physical media dominating everything of like record labels having like a complete stranglehold on what could be released and kind of dictating the culture telling people what kind of music uh, was available to them and to have something like this that went completely against the grain of what was available at that time in terms of just her style and the sound of the music and all of those things, it's incredible that that broke through, but it was also just like this super fucking catchy, she was oh everywhere God. Yeah, all of a sudden. And I think I was at the age where still like, you know, I didn't, un- I think like to me when you're like a kid and your only access to music is like Radio Disney, I was like, well, she's like the cool alt one. Like she's not like Britney Spears and she's not like Christina Aguilera, but it's so funny because in hindsight, like she was exactly like them <laughs> in so many ways, which is like just like still mainstream pop, right? But it's so yeah, funny that yeah. at that age, I had this big, and I think a lot of us, like a lot of us young Avril fans, had this idea of her as like the anti Britney, and that was a like a good thing to us at the time. Whereas like now, I you know, I and I, I loved Britney then, I love Britney now, and I think at the time I was like, yeah, fuck Britney, fuck all that, you know, girly stuff, like. We're going with like the underdog, right? And it's just so funny to think about the fact that Avril Lavigne was just never an underdog and she was like the biggest thing in music. I think all of us thought we were like the, you know, the cool kids for listening to her. We were the ones who were like in on what's, you know, alt, what's different. And it's funny because they did that with like so many bands too, like uh, Simple Plan and, you know, Good Charlotte and Blink-182. Like all these bands that represented counterculture to us, but were also just like still these major machine pop acts. Right. And yeah, it's kind of hilarious that it's like presented as the antithesis of like the glossy pop of Britney and Christina, but it's just like a different section of Hot Topic. Literally, um, just like that, a different section yeah. of the mall entirely. And I think it was just, and it was like, yeah, and I would go to the mall and go to like Hot Topic and, you know, just, <laughs> uh, but then I evolved, of course, out of Avril and into, you know, bright eyes and (laughs) Mm -hmm. shit like that and like you know all time low and whatever but um yeah i think it's so funny to like have had so much of my identity identity like to identify so much with her and feel like we were really on the same page and then to just get older and see her also age in her career and realize like no that's just like a business person you know who that's like a i don't know it's interesting yeah And, you know, I guess it is like somebody who's wearing stuff that's closer to what real kids wear makes her feel like she's more connected to reality. And the fact that she was a kid herself. She was 17 when this album came out. She was so young. So young. And I think that was also just, you know. And I don't mean to cut on here and be like, Avril Lavigne is this huge machine of the pop music industry. (laughs) But it is funny that like we really were all just like, you know, kind of had this idea of her as like this complete underdog. Like it's all it's it's all her. She writes all the songs. She does all the things like, you know, I remember reading an interview um, with her because I I was immediately part of her fan club. Backbone was what, you know, the fan club was. So I immediately subscribed to the fan club, which, of course, it was like kind of still pretty, you know, I mean, Internet was happening, but I'm pretty sure I like mailed it in. 
my application to be like a you know in the fan club and then I got this mail with like a bunch of stickers and a t-shirt and all this stuff and um so then part of that fan club thing was like a little zine or a magazine or something where it had like an interview with her where she was talking about how when she was on tour she'd be staying in these like fancy hotel rooms and she but she wouldn't go out to the fancy restaurant in the hotel she would just order room service and eat it sitting on the floor using her skateboard as a table (laughs) (laughs) I just like and I remember being like that's the dream she's so cool no one's cooler that's like that's how to be a rock star that's how to be a you know i bet britney's just eating at the fancy restaurant you know (laughs) yeah um a real fuck you to the man um but the thing that i also think is hilarious complicated which is the song that you know made her famous or at least got her on the road it was her first like single first big hit she kind of hates that song and the tone that she wanted the songs that she was writing were much like rockier and more kind of like metal influenced and the label hated it so they set her up with a production team called the matrix who have become big like you know produced every pop act in the world and they there's a little dispute about who wrote complicated as well they both sides Mm. kind of say the production people say we wrote it and she had some ideas and she kind of says the opposite but when she talks about that song now, she's like, yeah, you know, I'm grateful that it kind of put me on the map, but I just don't feel like it, you know, represents me or something. It makes me sad. It's like, that is the jam of jams. Yeah. What the hell? She should be proud of that song. But I under, I am not going to say what she should do. I'm sure she got just absolutely deeply traumatized by being the biggest act in the world at the age of 16 or 17. And she recorded that album. She was like 15, right. you know, and wrote that. And, but that's the thing that's always been a mystery to me is like, how much of the, of the writing did she do? You know, that's always like, I feel like that's a mystery that I almost don't even want solved because that also was like, honestly, she was a huge reason I started writing songs Mm. um, was because I saw someone who was, you know, older for sure than me, but also like not that much older and was like writing songs and and doing that. And like there were songs that I was connecting with and I was like, whoa, that is like what I want to do. And like seeing someone like her who seemed like someone that I could be friends with really inspired me. So I think like if you had told me at that age that she didn't write that song, it would have absolutely devastated. (laughs) And it's so funny because I think my dad probably knew that when I would talk about how an amazing songwriter she was. And I think he spared me that detail. (laughs) I mean, I, I, I don't doubt that she wrote the songs. I think she definitely did. But it's like, I think at, the, at that age, I didn't understand that like the, you know, pop music songwriting was like a whole process. And I just had like this image of her just with an electric guitar in some like bedroom that looked like mine, like writing songs. Yeah. I And like, it is unclear exactly. Like, it, it sounds like she did have at, at least have input. And I'm always a little suspicious about people saying that women and girls who write music are less involved in the process than what it may seem so who knows let's just live with the fantasy that she wrote the whole song and we can forget that she said she doesn't like it yeah yeah that whole period in music again not only was it like the peak of physical media and like mtv and all that kind of stuff but also that particular brand of pop star felt very of that era and kind of singular in the way that people were you know had had the spotlight on a billion different kinds of media and there were fewer channels to access music videos or listen to music or whatever 
So it gave her access to a much bigger audience than she may have been able to get now because, you know, on Spotify, it's like trying to get your head above the water is really hard. But the point, I think, is it's such an incredible album. And I was looking at it. There are six singles. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's it's a hits. It's a hits front to back. There's not a skip track on that record, at least for me. I don't have one. Mm. Um, even still, you know, like on tour, that's one of my go-to albums on tour because it's just so fun mm-hmm. to listen to. It's like it's like a record that's like, I mean, at the end of the day, like I'm just like such a pop guy. I love pop music. I love hooks. I love I love that shit. That's the shit I love. Um, so I like come back to that record all the time, and I'm like, damn, it's crazy that she was writing these songs at that age, like even at all. Honestly, like I think that's the other thing is that what people love to say is like, oh, you know, these girls that they don't write their own songs, you know, or they just have like one idea and then like everyone else does the rest. And I'm kind of like, well, that's also impressive. Even if like worst case scenario, she barely touched these songs. Like these are still like fucking like the lyrics are great. I do believe that the lyrics were were her lyrics because she like writes these kind of weird lyrics, like that song. My world mm. she talks about like growing up in napanee you know canada and it's just like i yeah just like they really i don't know they really struck gold are they really yeah they really struck gold it's also really funny to like be telling the story like you said with like spotify and like her reach and stuff and to be like wow i like discovered someone on by the radio mm-hmm. and like i was discovering artists by listening to the radio and that's like how i found shit right as a as a kid and you know it's just funny that that's like not really a thing anymore either i know yeah like i was hanging out with somebody the other day and he was saying something like you know what radio stations do you listen to and i was like uh none i can't remember the last time that i listened to the radio except in like a cab yeah i've recently been listening to the radio more than i have probably since that age just living, I've been living in Brooklyn and I have a car and my car doesn't take an aux cable like in any capacity. It's too old, which is great. But also Brooklyn, New York radio is sick. Mm. It's so good. Like there's so many great stations and I've been like rediscovering my love for radio and like my love for like discovering music on the radio recently. Yeah. There, there's also like, I know there can still be a corporate agenda behind what's played on radio stations, but it feels a little better to me to have those decisions made by like a human being instead of an algorithm. And on Spotify, when you're getting things thrown at you, so much of the time I find I'm getting suggested the same things over and over again. Oh, yeah. Like if a song hits the algorithm, it's like that's, yeah, I feel the same. I feel the same way. Yeah. Like shit gets pushed hard. Yeah. On there. Yeah. It is like, yeah, it is like the radio now. And now the radio, like actual radio is like college kids, you know at their university radio stations yeah yeah getting stoned and just playing music they like and i love that that's what i like to listen to totally yeah (laughs) we are going to take a teeny tiny microscopic break and then we'll be right back the future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly but then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about that's why we've created the hefty renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials to participate simply fill up an orange hefty renew bag with accepted items tie it up and drop it in with your regular recycling that's it it's that easy it's time to rethink recycling with renew particular valued resources may vary by geography more info available at heftyrenew.com save big on brunch for mom all in the kroger app Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. 
Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Thinking about how, uh, going back to talking about how young Avril Lavigne was when this album came out, she had, I don't know if you know this, but she started out by entering a competition to like a radio station competition, speaking of radio stations, to sing on stage with Shania Twain. I do know that. And, which is like incredible. When she was 14, one sang on stage with Shania Twain and then it just kind of- I mean, of, she has pipes. Mm-hmm. That's the other thing. I think like Avril, we, we, we really don't think about how she's just also this iconic singer. She's kind of falls into like, and I remember at the time, like one of the reasons my dad was so supportive of me listening to Avril was like, she, he was like, well, I love Alanis Morissette and this is like the young Alanis. And I think like she got a lot of that. Mm-hmm. That was kind of like, I think a lot of the angle too of her was that she had this really powerful, but like unique voice that wasn't enough for her to be like, you know, she wasn't Christina. She wasn't Brittany, um, but she was kind of in the, that like alt girl with like a really distinct voice and yeah like yeah i think the alanis morissette comparison was just everywhere for her and it was like i think they really did try to slide her in as like the kids version of that or something which is really interesting yeah but and like i can i can understand that totally but with avril it feels like you know she was into really rocky stuff but also into country music and that kind of comes through to me that it's like this fusion of all these things that she loved that created her own style and going back to what you were saying about like people, I guess, not taking artists as seriously if they think they don't write their own songs, that first of all, she did write most of her music. And it's also, there is so much more to being an artist than whether you write songs or not. And that's a very specific skill. Singing is a very specific skill. Having stage presence is a very specific skill. And combining all of those things in whatever way it's like the things that make people who we love to see on stage and we love to listen to their records special can be different from person to person and everybody brings their own unique set of skills to the things that we love so i think just like appreciating her from all sides um in instead of just in one way yeah she's a really good guitar player too yeah that was also hugely inspiring for me as a guitar player it was just like you know was she shredding like no but was she like writing these really great chord progressions that i wanted to learn 100 percent. i also think it's just like yeah i think that was such a specific brand of mas- of like early 2000s misogyny in music too where it was like they really did start doing this thing where it was like women like part of girl like that kind of early 2000s like girl power misogyny almost mm-hmm. that was happening where it's like where it's, it's like well there's only you know girl power is like like, you know fuck britney like we don't have to be these like i know i keep on saying that but that was such a big thing with like the marketing of avril was like the end was also just like they market her market her as this like anti christina anti pop girly which like drove this really weird social divide in my life where i was like you know i was like well i'm friends with the kids that like avril and like i the cool popular asshole kids are the ones that like britney and like i'm better than them or they're they think they're better than me And it was like this weird like music industry scam, basically, or not scam, but just like this whole thing that just was this like us versus them 
misogyny where it's like, well, women who write their own songs are real artists, but women who don't write their own songs are just like bimbos. And obviously that was not happening for any men at the time. Like nobody was saying that about any of the dudes. Totally. Um, But I do remember that that sadly was one of the big incentives for me to start writing songs. (laughs) You know, even though I love to write songs, not, I mean, I I wanted to write songs because I loved it, but also I was like, you know what? Like that's what it would mean for me to be serious, for me to be like a serious girl would be if I like was writing and not just singing and you know so that kind of was a weird brand of misogyny that kind of ended up inspiring me into my whole life path (laughs) right yeah and i mean in some ways via via avril yeah um and in some ways it feels like kind of textbook misogyny to me that it's like trying to pit women against each other and saying you have to hate this brand of woman if you like this brand of woman you can't like both yeah of them. Like you can't like both but i did like both mm. but i would never tell anybody right i did like both though i loved britney you know i was that was that was the first cd i ever bought was was britney so that was almost a, an identity crisis for me at the time where i was like well, i'm getting older and i need to find out who i am and if i can't like britney anymore that was like you know baby me and now i'm you know 10 years old and i'm an adult and i should like avril right i don't know but I did not should. I just knew instinctively that I did anyway. But also just like growing up fucking sucks and trying to like find your way in the world when you're a pre-adolescent or an adolescent where it you're at this really vulnerable stage and it's like the, the time when you're most worried about what other people think about you and your life for a lot of people. And it just is like heartbreaking to have kids feeling like it's not okay to like the things that they like because they're going to get you know, people are going to make fun of them or... Or get the wrong idea about them. It's not even like I would have been maybe even more socially accepted if I had been outward about my love for Britney. But then I would have been like, you know, misunderstood and I, I didn't identify as that type of girl, mm-hmm. you know. And I think that like also a thing about Avril that I have do a lot of talking about just with friends. If I have like two cocktails, I'll start ranting about this. <laughs> um, but, you know, um, Avril also was to me at the age of like 10, a bit of a gay icon, even though she wasn't gay. So I think that's something I think about all the time about Avril too, is that like she actually kind of put an aesthetic to what I felt internally where I was like this tomboy, right? But I was like this person that's like not really um, trying to perform the gender I was assigned, but I didn't really know how to do that. I didn't feel like that was acceptable. And she kind of made it acceptable in a way, you know, like she made it actually okay for girls to dress like tomboys. Mm -hmm. Like she made it okay for like me to wear basketball shorts and have me not called like a dyke every time I did. It was like, oh, well, she, you know, she just likes Avril. Mm -hmm. So it's so funny because like Avril's not gay. She's definitely like, you know, as far as we know she's straight but she did like a lot of my gay friends and i had that experience with her where we were like oh that was the moment that we started like fucking with our gender presentation because we saw her wearing ties and so we wore ties it was actually weirdly like the first step towards like self-acceptance of like being gay (laughs) right right which is really really also funny yeah and you know i think the there is uh i don't know if it's irony but there's something funny about the fact that like all of those pop acts are kind of gay like yeah you know, britney and christina arguably more gay than su- super ridiculously you gay. know um yeah but also like what you said when it was like at a time when gender non-conforming people were not a part of the public consciousness and it wasn't that there wasn't uh room in the discourse for people to talk about those 
uh, or at least in pop music, especially, and having someone who is still, you know, it's like very slick marketing, um, you know, the, like what we were saying about having this divide between the kinds of singers that you like, it's all part of the plan. That's not accidental, but just having somebody who not just in the way that she dresses, but it's like, she's not doing big choreographed routines and it's not like as it's the the image is not supposed to be as glossy and shiny and polished. It's supposed to like she's authentic and she's real. And then also she's she's like doing her own thing. She gets to wear whatever she wants. And I guess that's a a big thing is as much as the record company had control over her in a lot of ways, the album cover, she's wearing her own clothes. Like yeah. she picked that stuff out, that stuff she had from home. It's not like um she was styled. So yeah. um there is something in that too. Yeah, and it's funny to think about like if that is, but then it's part of me is like, was that or is that part of the scam of the record company? <laughs> right. Like, were those her clothes? Right, right. It looks like they would be, but maybe they weren't. Like, maybe she did want to dress more femme, and they were like, no, we're doing this. Like, we've got this whole plan for you. I don't know. It's just like that's the thing that is like so wild about all of these major pop stars. Like, even just you know, and forever and all time, like 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 an Ariana Grande, you know, even right now, where it's like we can't know them. Mm-hmm. These are like entire industries. These people are entire industries they're paying multiple paychecks you know they're, they, they're responsible for salaries you know right. like it's all very intentional so i think it's like that's the thing that i will always wonder about avril was like how organic was that like they made it seem like this is organically avril but like i can't imagine any record label just letting a teenage girl be who she wants to be so it's i wonder you know yeah it's and then they femmed her up in later albums mm-hmm. and i wonder if like if she wanted that or if she didn't it's just yeah yeah it's uh, yeah it's all gross and yeah like you said we can never really know what was going on behind the scenes but i guess even if the message that is received if what's being telegraphed by the way that she dresses is that queer kids gender non-conforming kids kids who are lesbians or just tomboys or whatever anybody who looks at that and says oh it's okay for me to not wear a dress or whatever it is that is you know being thrust upon them as like this is the thing that you need to wear to fit in and to be accepted even if it is a record company sponsored hot topic adjacent version of that it's still a big thing that this huge pop star uh you know made space for that um in in music totally no it's huge and it's so interesting to like think about because obviously that was never and could never have been the intention of a record label right like record labels don't care about people (laughs) you know so it's like the the major record label wasn't like you know it'd be great if we had an artist that really made like young lesbians (laughs) find themselves (laughs) you know they really didn't find that but it is really funny to think about like the trail that led to record labels wanting to put out like grunge music right Mm -hmm. where it's like it's really like you know nirvana you know walked so avril could you know run on radio disney it's like they see they're like you know what worked when kurt cobain like war was in his closet on stage like i wonder what would happen if we did that with a girl and it seemed like avril was almost like the major label experiment of like what would happen if this hit the mainstream because women in other genres were doing that always like you look at old press pictures of kim deal she's wearing like a phantom of the opera t-shirt (laughs) that's definitely not a stylist's choice (laughs) you know so it's like i wonder when that caught on for like like i wonder why that caught on with her the way it did 
and when they decided because like they were doing that with boys for so long but like avril was like the girl that they chose as like almost it seemed like their prototype of like what is this gonna look like if we try to do a grungy girl girl power grunge Mm -hmm. you know following up like because you know nirvana happened and then they started signing like blink 182 and some 41 and you know simple plan and like boy bands where that works you know boys looking like boys but yeah it is interesting that they like found this canadian teenager who wanted to sing like shania twain and were like all right it's your turn right right you're you're one of the boys now you know yeah you know get on get on get back on that skateboard (laughs) (laughs) yeah when you start trying to imagine the like what it could have been in the boardroom when these decisions are being made and it's like that exact pitch like okay what if it's like grunge but a girl and everyone starts clapping but a girl and it's songs that kind of sound like Alanis Morissette mm. and also kind of sound like you know uh Cheryl Crow right <laughs> you know and but it's for kids mm-hmm. right because I think they did kind of try that with Alanis and Cheryl for like the older adults but like they were like we need that kid money we need that radio Disney money they needed my money or my dad's money I guess at the time right at Sam Goody but you know and then all of that ramped up like a million percent with skater boy because it's like not only that image but telling a story about that stuff i mean also the video Mm. for that song and the video for complicated like they they had she was this lawbreaker for both of the (laughs) both of those major the two huge videos for that record were complicated and skater boy and in complicated she's like fucking up a mall she's like running around the mall with her friends like trying on shit and you know, knocking racks over. And then Skater Boy, she's like breaking into a warehouse to throw a big rager and like the cops come and like, you know, so that's so interesting too that they painted her as like this bad girl mm-hmm. who breaks the rules with, but also there was never another girl in any of her videos. That was the other thing. They had her like surrounded by boys. Yeah. That that one of the boys thing that I fell right into, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, But I don't know. I feel like we've been talking a lot of, not shit, but we've been talking... You know, if we talk about this record, you know, I think we're not talking about like the music itself a lot. I'm talking a lot about like the business and her, but like the record itself, like still like we kind of touched on this, but it just like still holds up so hard. Mm -hmm. And it's still like, even though it does have these like dated, you know, ideas of like, you know, what a girlhood and stuff, it's actually not as dated as you'd think. Mm -hmm. You know, I listen to those lyrics now and I'm like, these still like if Olivia Rodrigo had put out the same exact record now, like it still would have hit. And that's really amazing that she was writing these kind of timeless lyrics about girlhood and like, yeah, I don't know. It's so funny that she's Canadian too, because the songs are so American Mm -hmm. to me, you know, like you said, like she's a country artist and like so much of like the lyrics are so American. So I wonder what that was like too. that process. If they edited things to sound more Americanized or whatever. I mean, Canada is basically America, but you know, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and, you know, incredible lyrics, incredible storytelling, all the visuals, all the blah, 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 but also just really fucking catchy songs that are really fun to listen to. Great riffs, great guitar riffs, just ex- just so good and so catchy. Yeah, every single song, it's just hook after hook after hook after like great lyric after like, you know, I don't know. And then she followed it up with Under My Skin, which I know we're not talking about Under My Skin today, but also a great record. Yeah, yeah. She she had a little run there where she yeah. put out some great stuff. I don't I haven't heard her albums in a long time. So. Well, then everyone thought that she died. I don't know if you looked at up this. Okay, well there's a major I mean, this is a whole other podcast like series, not even one episode, but it's like like the like people now really 
there's a major conspiracy theory that she died at the age of like 18 or something after let go or after under my skin yeah the theory is that she died after under my skin and the the record label covered it up and found a lookalike to do the rest of her career for her and that the lookalike is still the one that's out there pretending to be her and you can look and there's like mole you know mole comparisons of like where is her where are the moles on her face and like stuff like that and i think that's so interesting too that people she like aged and matured because i obviously like really don't i like think that's fun and stuff but i don't believe that i but i do think it's interesting that like she aged and matured out of this like you know punk kid aesthetic and into like a more mature like kind of like hot girl Mm -hmm. (laughs) music thing and people couldn't even accept that it was actually her still yeah that's also really wild that sounds like uh yeah there should be some kind of journalistic investigation maybe that can be the next uh season of serial um they should just follow the avril around and be like are you really avril (laughs) and she's like yes i really am (laughs) that's the whole series yes um i think that is a lovely mysterious note uh to finish on this has been so much fun uh yeah so fun i could talk about i literally am like i could talk about it for like five more hours (laughs) i could like never i could like i could do like a track by track like a whole i literally could do a whole podcast series on just that album i could so yeah definitely cut me off (laughs) (laughs) it was such a like fun trip down memory lane listening to it uh in in preparation for this oh my god yeah yeah uh well thank you so much for making time for me this has been really really fun yeah thank you so fun yeah anytime you need to talk about avril with someone (laughs) hit me up (laughs) i'm here all right that's uh good to know all right um all right thank you take care yeah you too What an absolute fucking delight. Thank you so very much to Elle for chatting with me. In case you've already forgotten, the new Pale Hound album, Eye on the Bat, will be released on July 14th, and you'll get a little taster in the form of the first single, The Clutch. Okay, my little spark of the week is Michael Mann's HBO show, Tokyo Vice. Um, I usually have my finger on the pulse of all things arts and culture, but this one slipped through the cracks somehow. I'm a little late to the party, but I've almost finished with the first season, and it's great. Uh, If you don't know, it's based on a true story about an American journalist living in Tokyo. Uh, It's exciting and stylish, and you should watch it if you haven't. And that is just about it for this week. Uh, Please follow me on social media at Spark Parade. Just, you know, give it a try. See if you like it. And other than that... Have the most fun you've ever had in your entire life this week, please. And until next time, bye. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.